CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. Welcome to The Hash. It's the best show on Coindesk TV, in my humble opinion. I'm Zach Seward. We're joined by Jen Sinassi, Will Foxley. They both agree. Best show. Good stuff. fighting word, Zach. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? is that a compliment or a diss for me? It's, it's a compliment. Co- we're this, all of us <laughs> together. We bring wow. so much. You know, Jen, you have Sorry. multiple shows. I'm not throwing shade at the other show, but this show. Sorry, this Lawrence. Show, this is what it's really all I, about. I have to agree. There you go. Love that. All right. <laughs> it's pretty good. Enough hemming and hawing. My bad, folks. Let's get to the stories of the day. Will, lead us off. What's up? Okay, let's go to FTX land and talk about bigger problems. This is a tough one. Creditors and debtors are fighting it out after a draft reorganization plan was filed by John J. Ray III, the new CEO of FTX and the FTX estate. Of course, they're going through this chapter 11 process, which is going to be drawn out for quite some time. They've been at it for well over six months at this point, and they've been racking up a lot of fees. The creditors here are not super happy with the handling of a lot of different aspects of the estate. Uh, For one point, they even issued that, hey, why is the treasury not being put into UST bills so we can earn a yield on top of all the money that is waiting to be distributed to FTX creditors. The estate has some thoughts about that. There's some back and forth here. At the end of the day, I think it's just two groups arguing over a vast sum of money that is owed from one party to another. This is a story as time as old as time itself, right? Like chapter 11, back and forth. Jen, I got to throw it to you. What's your take on this one? I'm imagining when I read the story, I imagine FTX's new management, like in suits, you know, all the lawyers that are making all that money that we spoke about way back when, trying to talk to like a bunch of DGENs who won't turn their Zoom cameras on and just getting absolutely frustrated. There are some real great nuggets in here if you read um, the footnotes and the whole, the whole thing. But I think it makes sense. Like FTX's management needs to be conservative. They need to look at this whole thing holistically. I think this is one group. It's the group of unsecured creditors who are saying, no, you need to do X, Y, and Z. I think they're, I think they were suggesting uh, putting some of the money into long-term crypto holdings or talking about U.S. Treasury bonds. And, you know, I think that's a little bit risky when you're looking at getting as much money as possible back to all of the people who are owed money in this. Uh, there's a lot to dive into here, but Zach, I want to get you in first before we, we dive down that rabbit hole. 
Yeah, I do like the part where it's just like, we're going to put it all on red and we are going to yeah. win it back in one Buy skin, low, baby. Sell high. That's the Let's strategy. do this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that meme. It's like that, I, like, I don't know, I forget which movie it is, but the Las Vegas meme where everyone's like gathered around the craps table, like various disfigured uh, injuries. And you, you often see various sort of crypto figureheads placed into that meme. And you can imagine the DGENs on the creditor's side being like, yes, we can do it this way. <laughs> but really, it's just, just a tug of war between two parties seeking to establish power of these proceedings, right? I think this is very much in response. This is kind of John J. Ray kind of clapping back and saying, hey, creditors, like pipe down. I know you said this thing where you want control over who's making these decisions. I think that was the previous week that the creditors committee came out and cast a little shade on uh, how the estate is handling things. And hey, J.J. Ray III is going to clap back. If we know anything, this man does not mess around. We've seen this guy come out firing time and time Mm -hmm. again. He he's he's ready to roll up his sleeves and put the fisticuffs up on this one. So interesting to see again the war of words escalating between these parties who see different priorities and how uh, this should be handled. And this is uh, some tension sort of spilling out into the public sphere. Will, what do you think? Three bits and pieces here. Maybe it's context. Maybe it's just kind of fun facts that I just want to bring up. One, there's this debate over should FTX reboot FTX 2.0. As it were, John G. Ray III and the FTX estate has hinted at it and maybe even like suggested that they might move forward with it. Certainly a lot of creditors and debtors who want this to occur because they think this is possibly the only way for them to see more of their money. Uh, typically in Chapter 11, we see like maybe like 11 cents on the dollar get paid out eventually. I mean, Gox, Celsius, there's so many different stories uh, in the past where we haven't really seen the money go back completely. Another few thoughts on this is one, the debtors have issued in this note a complaint that they have not met with the estate at all. And it seems to be some frustration there because the FTX estate is spending so much, like millions of dollars, like the the hourly cost for these things is incredible, yet they're unwilling to meet with the debtors in this situation, uh, which strikes me as a little bit odd, but maybe they just don't want to deal with it. And I suppose if I was in their situation making a lot of money, I wouldn't answer the phone either. I don't know. Jen? I have to add this tidbit in they are, I guess, looking for solutions. If we want to get the unsecured creditors some points here, they the reason that they were suggesting that FTX look into short-term treasuries was to help offset that $330 million legal fee bill that we spoke about on the show. I think it was months ago now. So they are coming with solutions. You got to give them some credit there. Zach, I'm going to hand it off to you for last words. This story will never die. This is the story that will never die. Maybe we can talk about it 10 years from now if we we're lucky. Be. Oh, yep. wow. It's kind of like story. all the other FTX stories too, right? Where there's like got new information about Ellison or Sam or whatever. It's like two different tracks for the same story. Yeah, you got to have Get the, you know, like the, there. you got the A storyline and the B storyline. You got the, the suits yeah. sparring over various procedural and updates the and then you... You got the juice over here. You got the you got the Machiavellian. You got the the personal drama. You got all sorts of stuff. All sorts of stuff. Maybe, maybe when Netflix finally makes the documentary, they'll use a clip from the hash. That is my dream. We yeah. have been in a book about this. Yes, shout out to Brady Dale. Now of Axios, <laughs> go get that book. All right, that's it. We're gonna change gears. We are gonna go to an update on the Ripple case. Now, last month there was a big judgment from a federal judge saying that certain sales of XRP satisfied securities transactions, others did not. And now the SEC is appealing or is asking for permission to appeal 
that judgment in a major case that has been closely watched in the crypto world. When this judgment was first issued by federal judge uh, Annalisa Torres, it was seen as a partial victory for Ripple and a partial victory for the industry writ large. So clearly, the SEC is advancing its case that maybe those programmatic sales also qualify as securities transactions, and they're asking for a certain type of appeal on the matter. Jen, I'm going to throw it to you. Everyone was super duper bullish about this uh, decision from Judge Torres, and now they may have to take it back to appeal. How does that sort of change our understanding of what happened here? This is another story that just will keep going on, I think, until the end of time. It feels like we've been following the Ripple case. It did feel like there was like a moment where this entire industry took a breath and thought, wow, this, this is a small win for us. It's a small win. It gives us a little bit of clarity, a little bit of direction. We, of course, have, have seen since then, Coinbase has referenced this partial win in some of their filings against the SEC. And now I just feel down in the dumps again. Um, of course, there's still a trial pending here. And now we have the SEC filing this appeal, which I think everyone expected. The SEC said that they were going to file the appeal. The part that I'm going to watch and that I think is kind of interesting is Judge Torres said Ripple did not break the law when the XRP token was sold on public exchanges because purchasers had no reasonable expectation of profit based on Ripple's efforts. I just wonder if we're going to see Ripple's efforts come to light here compared to the price of the XRP token. Ripple has made a lot of announcements about acquisitions, new projects, new products, and if that is going to be some swaying information in this case. Because I think that it's not a far cry to draw a parallel between Ripple's new projects and the price of the XRP token, even though Ripple has definitely distanced themselves from that narrative. Will, what do you think? Yeah, classic Ripple. It's not our <laughs> token. We just found it out there. I don't know. It was in the wild somehow. Going back to like the, the lawsuit here in the case between SEC and Ripple Labs, you know, the programmatic selling part that Zach brought up, this is the thing that like confused a lot of people. And there's definitely a lot of lawyer opinions on this, including some op-eds that are written on Coindesk. So definitely go check those out for an expert's opinion. From a layman's opinion, just looking at this, it seemed a little odd that you could have this broken up into two different tranches, right? Where we could sell to VCs, we could sell to banks, we could sell to institutions, and that's not okay. But if we sell it onto an exchange where there's just retail clients and they're not really having an investment contract, they're just purchasing, I guess, like a commodity in this case or something like that, then it's okay. And it just didn't make sense to a lot of people when they first saw this. I only saw a few lawyers looking at that and be like, oh yeah, that checks out. I think it also, if it stands, sort of cuts the heart of how a lot of crypto lab companies or foundations do their sales of assets when they create them or quote unquote assets. Oftentimes we see private rounds where initially there's like a pre-mine created and then they divvy up that pre-mine to investors, to insiders, to the foundation, to the early team. And then they do a huge sale to the retail either through like an airdrop or listing on exchange elsewhere uh, later on. So let's take a WorldCoin, for example, they did this, right? Where they gave some to early investors, they gave some to the team, and then they gave a ton to market makers to be able to keep like the price of the token pretty steady. And under like this ruling from this judge, a lot of that would be broken, right? Like, would you be able to give a token to market makers to even loan it out so you could have a price? I don't know if you can do that anymore under this. Uh, it seems like you could only really sell it to retail. That seems odd to me. It seems like it's going to change. And I don't think it's a surprise to anyone to see the SEC 
go against this or at least try to challenge it. Uh, the outcomes from it could have huge repercussions for how everyone is looking at the token market. Zach? Yeah, my understanding is that a lot of these sales sort of date back before established best practices were set up, right, for a lot of these uh, token distributions, right? So this is this is from an era in which a lot of the regulatory kosher practices were being uh, embraced. So th- I think a lot of the space has evolved. And I think there is a question as to whether or not this will impact sort of the current understanding of how tokens get distributed to early investors. I think the SEC had to appeal this one because, Will, as you mentioned, it really undercuts Gary Gensler's argument that almost everything except for Bitcoin basically is a digital asset security. Now, I mean, I think my understanding of the ruling was that it's not really the securities, them, it's not really the, the assets themselves, it's which type of transactions they're involved in. And that was sort of the fine line that Judge Torres was trying to distinguish here, right? You know, similarly to how in the Howey test, it stemmed over an orange grove in Florida, right? The oranges themselves aren't necessarily securities. But if they are involved in a securities transaction, then they meet certain requirements in terms of disclosure and other things that need to happen, right? So the understanding, at least on the industry side, was, hey, the assets are just like the oranges. They aren't inherently securities. But if they're in a securities transaction, then certain rules will apply. And that's what George Torres was trying to articulate. Whereas Gary Gensler has been trying to say, these things are securities. They look like a security. They walk like a security. They quack like a duck. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. But he was saying that that is always the case with these things. That they are by nature of their existence are, are securities, whereas the judge is saying, no, 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 we need to look at the specifics of the transactions in which they're involved. So a lot of people, I think, within the industry specifically, saw that as a pretty reasonable explanation of how it can be both at the same time, a security and not a security. And now I think the SEC is at least taking another shot at advancing their case uh, here such that other claims relating to other assets um, can be supported. But yeah, I mean, this is, I think, I think a lot of lawyers, this was definitely the thing where a lot of lawyers on crypto Twitter were sort of uh, placing their bets in terms of what would happen. Some were more cautious that an appeal would, would occur. Others were indicating that there would likely not be an appeal here. Now we see with this particular type of appeal that the SEC is going to have this one looked at again under video review, but who knows. There's a new social marketplace on the block and it's called Galaxy, the platform, hopes to empower content creators to build personal economies and interact directly with their fans. Joining us now to discuss is Galaxy CEO and co-founder Solo Cisse and co-founder and NBA star Spencer Dinwiddie. Good afternoon to you both or good morning. I don't know where everyone is. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning. All right. Uh, let's let's talk about the launch of this. It's been in beta for a while. It's now officially launched on yesterday's show. We spoke about uh, Grimes coming out in the media and saying she actually made more money from her NFTs than her music career. Talk to us about the experience that creators can have on the app. Uh, as we look at monetization of the individual holistically, I think you're going to get uh, some of those familiar features. Um, that you see from like in OnlyFans, et cetera, you know, people being able to message, uh, video chat. Uh, and then Galaxy is in, uh, very unique in the fact that they can create individual experiences. Like uh, I have like a jump shot tutorial, things of that nature. But yes, yeah, it's all about uh, monetization of, of oneself. Um, also, you can post your NFTs, et cetera. Um, we have a uh, Web3 wad in there uh, running on Hedera. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's about monetization. So let me just ask this one to you. This has been a long time coming for you guys, right? This project, I think yeah. you've been working on it for three years. 
Uh, talk to me about what it means to get this uh, fully launched today and you know what you learned over that process of uh, cobbling this thing together over those three years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been a crazy journey over the last couple of years. I mean, I think it's been uh, actually almost closer to four at this point since Spencer came to me with the crazy idea of wanting to tokenize this contract. I'm sure you guys remember that, but uh, it's a it's a crazy journey. It's a super exciting time for us as a company. Um, you know, it's been a quite difficult bear market for a lot of people, and so it's uh, you know we count our blessings every day getting able to, being able to have the opportunity to do what we do and wake up every day and service the creator economy. Um, and for us, we really do feel like this was an opportunity that we uh, took upon uh, a journey, rather, that we took alongside with a lot of our other creators as well. And they're a part of this as well. And so we're hoping to really be that, uh, you know, next le- that next iteration of what the crypto ecosystem could really look like and manifest in the way in which in larger audiences. Galaxy uh, is meant to be a highly consumer-facing product. Uh, you're going to notice that it's not going to feel and look like the crypto products that we've used in the past. And so for us, we think that today is a step in that right direction, opening up the next chapter about what crypto products could really look like uh, and really pushing paradigms and, and, and allowing these things to not only be usable, but be useful. And so for us, uh, you know, we've been we've we've definitely got our battle scars across the way doing this. But uh, we are super excited to have finally made it to this finish line or I guess the beginning. Very cool. Congratulations. Spencer, I'm throwing this one to you. I mean, yeah, uh, Solo mentioned your your attempts to tokenize your contract in the NBA, which was co- sort of a really a landmark step, I thought. So you've been an early adopter on crypto outside of just this app itself, right? So I really want to get your perspectives on what that next chapter of, you know, the intersection of Web3 and sports, right? We saw a lot of excitement around this in the last cycle. Curious for your thoughts on what's going to shape and drive that narrative going forward. Um, I mean, I think if you're looking at the sports landscape right now, you're seeing uh, kind of like so said a paradigm shift, right? We see what Messi just had with the TV rights. Uh, we're trying to boost fan engagement in any way possible. We look at VR. Um, I think that cryptocurrency, blockchain technology in general is is going to uh, play a big role in that. Um, as we look at experiences, I think a marketplace for athletes is going to show up at some point in time as long as the leagues kind of say it's kosher i think in terms of contract tokenization i was a little bit ahead of my time just because obviously people were fearful of it at the time i mean i ended up getting it cleared by the league but overall it was a a difficult journey with that but it 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 spawned obviously uh galaxy in general in terms of being uh or or creating more utility making it more uh, palatable for for the everyday user for, for every person on the planet really um, but yeah, in sports, we're, we're going to see everything be a chip on the table. We're going to see every shot be able to be bet on, monetized, et cetera. I mean, it's the only way to continue to enhance fan engagement and to push the, the envelope further, right? Because uh, as long as fans want to consume whatever piece of our leagues, uh, of our sports, et cetera, that, that, are, that are out there, uh, the more money they can make. And you see as uh, the cap is, is booming, I mean, you know, you're seeing $100 million contracts in the NBA every day now it's it's nothing uh, uh special anymore right five years ago 100 million meant you were a max player and now it means you know you're you're a solid starter so um that 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 envelope is going to continue to be pushed and, and the fans are at the crux of that spencer follow up here for you i clicked on amazon prime yesterday and destination nba popped up started watching that and you popped up there for a second so i was just thinking about like in your interaction with these like new g league players or anyone who's coming to the league i mean they're like 17 18 years old these are like Web3 natives in a way, right? Where they might have NFTs, they might be interested in crypto. 
when you're interacting with these players who are now coming to the league and getting these big paychecks, but also have maybe like purchased Bitcoin, are you seeing like any discussions there that you're not seeing with some of the veterans in the league before that perhaps they missed that boat already? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't say uh, missed the boat necessarily because obviously I think uh, one of the cool things about the NBA is you have uh, even in the age gap that, that we do have, let's say 35, 18 to 35 roughly, um, a lot of the older guys are still looking to invest, make money, et cetera. So, you know, they're going to be a little bit more well-versed on cryptocurrency than, than maybe the, the average uh, elder statesman in society. And again, it's kind of a misnomer because 35 isn't necessarily old. I'm 30 years old. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, with people that are more familiar with NFTs, Web3, um, it's just a more seamless conversation. It's like anything else in um, life. If, if you have a little bit of a knowledge base, it's easier to talk to about it. Um, and then just looking at the evolution over the last, uh, let's call it six years, right? Since about 2017, um, I'm not crazy anymore. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's not a, a <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's real. Like in, in, the, yeah. in the locker room, I'm not crazy. I mean, maybe um, kind of on a, like a, a, a tree branch to a degree, maybe a little bit off of the, uh, the, the, the normal path, but I'm no longer like the insane crypto guy. So that, uh, that's always fun. Spence, I got to ask, you're, you're with the Brooklyn Nets now, you're with the Mavericks previously. Any collaborations with Mark Cuban or did you guys nerd out over crypto ever? Um, yeah, we had a couple conversations, honestly. And, uh, you know, I still keep in contact with him uh, to this day. Uh, obviously, he's an owner, so it's not a, a situation where necessarily we're, we're trading in investment tips or anything. But we did have a couple of crypto conversations and obviously he's a brilliant human being. And, and it was a pleasure for me to get to play on his team for, for the year that I did. So I want to get you on the board here real quick. Um, I always think that there's an interesting sort of base layer conversation, right? All these apps are built on these, you know, blockchain foundations. Hashgraph, I guess, is not all the way a blockchain. So I will add, add that one little note. It's a little bit different sort of mechanically. So I wanted to ask you specifically why you chose to build there as opposed to on other platforms. Uh, what what yeah. can Hedera do for you that, you know, say Polygon can't in this instance? Yeah, I mean to be honest with you, uh, I gotta I gotta give my uh, I gotta give my respects to to Spencer. He he taught me a lot of what I know about crypto. At least at least the to, to start, he had introduced it to me. So choosing Hedera was actually something that had been introduced to me uh, by Spencer. Introduced us, but uh, if you think about the value proposition, Hedera really seemed to be the most practical uh, technology for us to build Galaxy. And if you really look at anything that we've put out in terms of Galaxy promotional materials. It's not meant to be overly degen facing. It's not meant to be overly technical. It's meant to really, uh, you know, obstruct the way the complexities with blockchain and crypto and really surface those benefits to the end user. Um, and so for us, using Hedera technology made that really easy out of the box. Cause when you think about crypto technology at the moment or blockchains in general, layer ones right now, a lot of them might have varying issues, you kind of have to, you know, in a world of having to make trade-offs, Hedera allowed us to make none, um, which was super exciting. It was practically decentralized to the use of the governing council. You have reputable companies and brands behind the chain. Um, they have great corporate partnerships going on so that we're excited about the future uh, opportunities to partner with those council members. In addition to the fact that it's asynchronous, Byzantine fault tolerant, um, you know, super high throughput and scalable. Uh, essentially, out of the box, this is a very Web2 experience or playground uh, for us to be able to build an application that behaves more like what people are used to versus, you know, having to, you know, sign in with MetaMask, fund your account with gas, you know, uh, fund your account, 
for gas with ETH, et cetera, because the fees are so low and equitable within the ecosystem on Hedera, we can very easily you know, cover those fees. And we do on Galaxy, at least for this time being, um, which makes it really e- seamless and easy for somebody to come in there uh, you know, and, and, and really enjoy the platform for what it's meant to be. Gotcha. Well, thank you guys so much for both joining us. Those are Galaxy co-founders, Solo Cisse and Spencer Dinwiddie. Congrats on the launch, guys, and thanks for chatting. Thanks for having us. For having us. And that's it for the show today. Thanks for tuning in to The Hash. I'm Zach Seward. We got Jen Sanasi and Will Foxley. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 